0: Support for KQED podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest.
1: From KQED. Welcome back to
0: Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Public schools in San Francisco and Alameda County remain closed for in-person learning, while Some school districts in Marin and Santa Clara County are open to students. Why are counties and school districts with similar rates of COVID adopting different approaches to reopening? And what are the challenges facing Bay Area schools as they plan to reopen? We want to hear from parents, students and teachers. How do you feel about how your school district has handled the pandemic? Are you comfortable with returning to school? And if not, what would you like to see before you or your child heads back? You can give us a call right now. We invite you to do that. Our toll-free number is 866-733-6786. That number, again, for your calls, 866-733-6786, or get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. we at KQED Forum or email. Any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. We're joined by Jill Tucker, K-12 education reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome, Jill. Thank you. Glad to have you back with us on Forum. And I guess the place to begin is uh, with this mixed picture, a very mixed picture throughout the Bay Area. Uh, and uh, it's it's hard for many people to assess why some schools are opening and others aren't. It comes down to the county, but there's many other elements involved.
2: Yes, definitely. I mean, the reality is we have about 100 school districts just in the Bay Area counties. Um, and uh, in addition to that, many private schools and charter schools um, and, and there's probably an equal number of different policies happening in, in each of those in terms of reopening uh, and and what their plans are um, in, in terms of how they'll do that and when they'll do that. And, you know, so what we've seen so far as cases have dropped and counties, uh, public health departments have given permission for schools to start reopening Um, You're seeing, you know, some really jump at that chance and others still sitting back. Uh, Mostly the the school districts are are still sort of sitting back, waiting. They're negotiating with their unions. Uh, They're trying to figure out the best way to do this. Um, Some school districts are getting ready to open or have already opened, but they tend to be smaller. Um, They tend to be um, in areas where they have a little bit more money. Uh, to pay for all of the things that are associated with reopening So there's a lot of issues that go into this, um, you know, whether it's facilities or the ability to pay for testing um, you know, so it, it it's just all across the board of of Whether schools are reopening or not. It, it really has nothing to do at this point with case counts and, and the like because counties have given the green light to open
0: well, you mentioned uh, private and public charter schools, uh, they about 81 of them, to be exact, have submitted letters, uh, but they don't have uh, unions, and uh, there's an online dashboard, in fact, that involves 81 schools, mostly those schools, uh, because the schools have to negotiate with the unions, and contracts have to be negotiated, and that uh, remains a major obstacle, doesn't it?
2: Yes, very much so in in many districts. Um, You know, there are some districts that are that are open, like the uh, Reed Union District in Tiburon, um, where they've worked it out and the the teachers are back in class. Um, But the reality is, if the teachers don't want to come back or they can't come to an agreement with the district, then it's pretty difficult to open schools. You're just you're not going to have teachers there. And so um, these negotiations are ongoing Um, the the unions are often asking for more safety measures or uh, procedures or policies um, or programs um, than is required by the public health departments. You know, that might be more testing. Right now, most public health departments are saying, you know, everyone should be tested once every two months. Um, And they may stagger that schedule, but you know, that that's not uh, a, a lot, according to a lot of teachers, you know, you can have infections in the interim. Um, you know, so so there's, there's a, a a big difference in terms of what counties are recommending, what unions are looking for. And then you just have these ongoing negotiations. Um, so it, it makes it difficult for districts like San Francisco and others to even sort of set tentative dates for reopening, because they just they just don't have the ability to um, say when they're gonna come to this agreement or when they're gonna be able to reopen.
0: Well, the school boards play, of course, an integral role as well. And now we've got school boards that are, uh, your cover story in today's Chronicle, in fact, <laughs> about school boards deciding whether or not they should keep names or change names uh, like Washington and Jefferson uh, because of ties to slavery and the like. Uh, but you've been talking to a lot of parents and teachers and students. Uh, first of all, what are you hearing from parents?
2: You know, there really is a range. Um, I think in general, probably the most vocal folks right now are those who want, want the schools to reopen. Um, but that's usually the case. The most vocal people are the ones that want what's not happening, right? So, um, you know, the, the ones who probably would remain in distance learning, and there are many um, that would choose that option, um, you know, they're not as vocal because that's what's happening right now. Um, so I am hearing from a lot of parents. though. I mean, they're 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 really getting to a point of desperation, and and, and it's it's a little gut wrenching to hear about the kids that are just. Uh, Crying every day and and as one parent told me, you know Their their child was yelling at them saying I hate you for making me do zoom And you know parents are sort of at the end of their rope and kids are protesting I heard of one kid who went on a zoom strike at home Um, So I think parents are worried. They're worried about lost learning time. They're worried about the child's um, emotional health um, physical health Uh, they miss their friends they're, they're tired of this. And, um, and they feel that, you know, the science and the departments of public health are saying it's time to go back. And they're just not hearing very much from the districts in, in terms of when that will happen.
0: But there's also really a concern and a fear about uh, the numbers of COVID cases spiking again. And uh, even though, uh for example uh, of the 58 uh, counties only 10 are still purple that is most restrictive but the colors keep shifting and we have to kind of keep an eye obviously on whether or not things are spiking as they are in other parts of the country and as they have been you know here previously so this is all part of the equation um what are you, what are you hearing from teachers i know it's mixed probably but for the most part a lot of them are probably afraid to go back aren't they
2: Yeah, I mean, in general, I I think there are some teachers that are ready to go back. Um, You know, if if you're you're talking about teachers via the union, it's a pretty strong standpoint that they don't feel that the conditions are in place to go back yet. Um, I think teachers are also scared. Um, You know, there's still a lot of fear about contracting the virus. There's still fear about, um, you know, being in classrooms with 12 kids, for example, um, all day long. Uh, but what we're hearing so far is that the schools that have reopened, we're not seeing cases, we're not seeing super spreader events. Um, if there are any cases that are popping up, they, they, they so far at least have been um, from the community rather than from the school. Um, so they may have you know cohorts uh, quarantining for a couple of weeks because a, a family member or somebody was exposed or, um, or had the virus and, um, but caught it from a community. Uh, uh, interaction, rather than from at the school. So, uh, what they're saying is, at least according to public health, that we're not seeing um, spreading events in the schools. That it appears that the conditions placed in the schools are safe. Um, you know, but it's hard to to uh, convince people that um, they're going to be safe in that environment. And the reality is, that when you talk to the scientists, they all say there are no guarantees, and we fully expect cases pop up in schools um, as they
0: reopen. We're talking again with Jill Tucker, K-12 education reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle, and we do want to hear from you. How do you uh, think your school district is handling this, and are you ready for your children to go back to school if you're a parent, uh, or if you're a teacher, how do you feel about going back uh, and opening up? Are you comfortable returning to school, and if not, what would you like to see before you or your child, or if you're a teacher, head back. We want to hear from you. Please join us now live. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Toll free, join us at 866-733-6786. Also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about schools reopening. What will it take to reopen schools in the Bay Area? Jill Tucker with us, K-12 education reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle. And you are indeed invited to join the conversation. You can give us a call now at our toll-free number. It's 866-733-6786. Again, join us at 866-733-6786. You can also join us by going to Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or emailing us forum at kqed.org here's ann who writes uh, if schools open we have to do rolling testing of teachers and staff which the districts have to pay for and districts are already strapped from buying computers and hotspots, and that's certainly true uh, i think jill you could confirm also i'd like you to address the fact that um, before we go to our callers here uh, mayors of 13 of the largest cities in california sent a letter to governor newsom uh, and to state superintendent uh, tony thurman Uh, talking about safely reinstating in-person classes to lessen the educational gap for low-income, special needs, and struggling students. And they outline a lot of things here in this BCM, this big city mayor's coalition uh, headed by, or chaired by Sam Licardo, mayor of San Jose. Uh, And there's a, a lot about PPEs, and there's a lot about partnerships with cities and counties for creative use of underutilized spaces like libraries and recreation centers for students to do online learning, but also what it would take to have uniform standards to open up the schools. What I didn't notice in this, and I'd like you to address this if you could, Jill, because it's of concern, uh, is, uh, and you know they, they outline a lot of things, a lot of details, and I'd like you to address that as well. But Jeff Vinson of EdSource talked about reopening in terms of indoor air quality and ventilation. And he said, you know, this is an airborne uh, virus, um, and we have to worry about that because there is a study I guess, about uh, UC Davis and uh, Lawrence uh, Berkeley study that said only 15% of our schools meet those ventilation standards, air ventilation standards.
2: Yeah, so ventilation uh, as well as testing are probably the, the top two issues um, aside from the union agreements that that could prevent schools from reopening. I mean, a lot of schools are old. A lot of schools... Um, or, or temporary buildings um, don't even have windows that open. Um, the HVAC systems, the heating and, and air conditioning systems um, are not, not uh, necessarily new and you know, might not have the filtering or the, or the other um, things that, that could help filter the air or, or push air around. Um, so that is a, an issue in, in many cases in many schools. Um, I think school districts are working on those I think they're identifying the facilities classrooms the buildings that can open uh because of uh acceptable ventilation But the reality is a lot of our schools are old and and we're not built to accommodate an airborne virus like this um, you know in terms of having uh that level of ventilation Um, So I think that that is a concern Uh, But what I'm hearing is schools are identifying, like in San Francisco, identifying the locations that they can reopen so that at least they can get a start on bringing some of the most at-risk kids back to school.
0: Yeah, the only reason I mentioned that is I didn't see it in the uh, uh, BCM uh, recommendations, the Big City Mayor's Coalition recommendations, Mm. but they do talk about direct rapid testing and other testing resources to go to the schools, particularly schools that are Uh, thought to be in great need. Let me bring some callers on. Let's uh, start with Kyle. Kyle, join us.
3: Yeah, hi. Great topic. Thanks for uh, having it today. Um, Yeah, my my wife is a 25-year veteran of San Francisco Unified and um, been in the conversation for a while now. And something that's missing that I would love to hear more people broadly discussing is the idea of outdoor learning and returning back to school facilities but in the school yard. And outdoors where it's much safer. Um, I'm working with a volunteer uh, as a volunteer with Green Schoolyards America, and we're working with districts around the country trying to provide a model for returning more safely because we know that COVID is less trans transmittable outdoors. And uh, we, actually un- we actually discovered um, that there's a field act in California is creating huge problems to even put up tents. Um, on school grounds. So um, we just want more people talking about it. And uh, Jill, if you've learned about districts that are doing this or attempting to, to do this, we'd love to hear more discussion. I'll take my comments off the air.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for that, Kyle. And there is indeed a lot of discussion around that, isn't there, Ann? Jill, excuse uh, me, isn't it? <laughs> sure.
2: Yeah. I was the um, like, next hmm. caller. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, Kyle, Kyle raises a, a really good point and And it's, it's a question that a lot of parents are asking. I think it's, it's not as simple as, as he, he talks about of, of setting up a tent outside. The, the reality is um, getting enough space for outside, you, you still have to keep the cohorts. You still have to find the space and the ability to have, whether it's furniture or um, sun shelters or, or these types of things. Also, you know, as a lot of this has been happening this summer and fall, obviously we've been deal, dealing with wildfire smoke as well and unhealthy air quality. And so what happens when that, you know, when it's not healthy for kids to be outside? So there's a lot of questions about just saying, let's put all the kids outside because you do have other elements um, that that could interfere with, um, you know, keeping those kids outside and whether it's, you know, heat or rain or smoke um, and, and then other issues of, you know, what tents are safe. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of uh, regulations regarding um, facilities in terms of, uh, uh, fire safety, earthquake safety, all of these types of things. So it isn't as simple as just setting up a tent and bringing the kids back. Um, so I, I, I think that's the problem. I think it sounds very easy to bring kids and just have them sit outside, but it's a lot more complicated uh, than it sounds.
0: Joe Tucker with us and uh, next caller is not Ann. it's Hillary from Los Gatos, who's the mother of three elementary school boys. Uh, Hillary, join us, welcome.
1: Hi, good morning, thank you for taking my call. Um, I heard uh, Jill saying earlier just the frustration that we parents, particularly elementary school children who are just not uh, capable of learning what they need to learn via a computer and how an adult supervisor, a parent, a child care provider becomes 100 percent responsible for getting the assignments completed, getting them turned in. I mean, the screaming and the crying and the, and the literally just negotiating to get them on Zoom every day to do a program that I know is not even really meeting their educational or social emotional needs. So I guess my question is, why are teachers not considered essential workers? When you have bus drivers who have to board a bus, every day and drive around strangers in an enclosed space when we're dining inside and you have so many people that are putting themselves at risk and i would argue not as not as risky a situation as a classroom with children spread out with masks on especially with the data that we're not having spikes in these reopened schools i'm just i'm so frustrated that there, this is even a conversation that we're not just moving to reopen especially for small children
0: yeah, well, I thank you for that, Hillary. And uh, Jill Tucker, th- there is a concern by many that perhaps uh, teachers ought to indeed be designated as essential workers. That's an ongoing debate.
2: Yes, um, they actually are essential workers. Schools are an essential service, and so teachers are essential workers. Um, you know, the question is, uh, you know, in, in terms of them coming back, they are unionized and they do. Uh, have contracts and, uh, regarding working conditions. And so there, there is that leverage in terms of them uh, doing in-person learning. Obviously, they're still working in the sense of being an essential worker. Um, but in terms of being in front of uh, kids or in a room with kids, you know, that's something that is um, open for negotiation. But I will say that, that what Hillary is saying is, is uh, echoed through my email inbox. Um, that there is deep, deep frustration that, you know, we have people at Safeway, uh, you know, uh, performing essential worker tasks, but we don't have teachers back in front of kids, which they argue is the far more important or more essential uh, function. And, and we're starting to hear from a lot more uh, academics, uh, health officials, that the, um, that the health impact on children for not being in school is now far greater than the risk that comes from the virus that, you know, whether you're talking about increased obesity, when you're, when, whether you're talking about learning loss or depression or anxiety, you know, emotional issues, family issues, parents who can't work, um, you know, so there is a, a food shortage or hunger. Um, all of these things are, are increasingly coming into play as we um, the longer the schools keep closed and and it it you know it's, it it 's a huge debate about you know the safety God forbid a teacher or a child would you know get very sick or die after a school reopened you know so it's it 's a very emotional debate uh, uh, with arguments on both sides for sure
0: so we also have all these academic and social catch up concerns and concerns about mental health as you 've kind of indicated but this is the greatest educational equity crisis of our lifetimes. This is the greatest uh, digital divide that we've ever had because of this pandemic.
2: Yeah, it, it's uh, this is unprecedented. You know, people keep using the word unprecedented, but I, I don't even think that that word is adequate. Uh, it it we it is a crisis. Uh, I think most educators and parents and and other people, including the mayors that wrote the letter, uh, acknowledge that and and. Uh, Yet moving forward is is very difficult. I, I do think, however, based on what districts are telling me, that we will start seeing a lot more public school districts start reopen in November. Uh, for a while there, I was thinking that very few would open before January, but I do think we're going to start seeing kids come back, and the more kids come back, perhaps uh, the more. Uh, folks will start getting comfortable with that of course depending on case counts and spikes and and uh, you know any other uh, official uh, requirements from health officials.
0: Again, we're talking to Jill Tucker of the San Francisco Chronicle and Tina writes it seems to me to be a form of white privilege that private schools and wealthy public schools are reopening while others stay closed. The children born into wealth will weather this pandemic so much more easily than others. I really feel that public schools need to reopen for the health, of all children and I'm wondering Jill is it true that uh, some of the private schools are reopening as camps rather than getting waivers is that a loophole how do they do this
2: You know I haven't heard so much about that because the uh in general there there are play- schools that are reopening as like childcare or camps um And they're not reopening as a a quote unquote school but the reality is most of these private schools are going through the public health department and getting they don't need a waiver they just need to go through the application process to reopen in the counties that are that are not purple Um, you know if they're red or orange uh, they don't need a waiver and so it's uh, most of these schools charters um, and private schools and the public schools are uh, getting uh, permission to reopen and, and doing so as as school. Um, I, I suppose the camp is a workaround, but I, I haven't seen many doing
0: that. And I'm going to read another email from a listener. It writes: I teach in an independent six through twelve school in San Mateo County that is still remote. The school applied to start having 25 percent of its students on campus each week. No one is thrilled with the plan, including parents, kids, and teachers. A few are very unhappy. It's a real compromise. And let's hear next from. Uh, Gordon up in Sonoma, who's on the board of a small elementary school. And, uh, Gordon, welcome to the program. You just walked through the reopen plan. Can you explain your decision?
4: Um, yeah. So, basically, we're a one school, school district. I'm the board president. And last Monday, we, we were trying to give a goal for reopening so the parents would know. But, basically, the school board is responsible for not only the safety and education of the students, but the safety of the staff as well. So it's a balance between that and what everybody wants to do, which is to reopen. So we started looking at it, and Sonoma County, we're we're not in red yet. If we get into red for two weeks, then we have to prove to the health officer that our our area can maintain the red for another two weeks. So that makes us four weeks out from opening, which then gets us. Uh, pretty close to Thanksgiving, and our concern was people, families choose to gather and ex- maybe expose themselves further. Then we run into waiting again, and we get to Christmas. So basically, we decided to have a goal of reopening uh, at for the third trimester, because uh, we also work in education in trimesters in our district. So to have the staff switch from distance learning to classroom learning and have it all be a smooth transition. And with all the holidays involved, we just decided to push it back for all those reasons.
0: Well, Gordon, I appreciate you giving us a picture of what you've done there uh, in Sonoma, and I thank you for the call. I want to go right to another caller. This is David in Oakland who has a couple kids in the Oakland school system. David, welcome. Join us on Forum.
3: Thank you. Good morning. Happy Friday. Same to you. Um, I just wanted to... I just wanted to put my two cents in. Um, I have two children, as you said, in the Oakland school system. And I think um, the discussion is very good. And I think there's good points on each side. However, I think that it's extremely myopic to push for school opening at this point. Um, It's been a few months. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. I think that waiting and being very careful is the prudent thing to do i just there's no way i would send my children back to school at this point and risk their health and my family's health
0: well david i thank you for weighing in i appreciate hearing from you and we're going to hear from some other listeners via emails i'm going to read here uh, devin writes i'm an engineer for san francisco unified school district all of us especially the engineers have been working through the COVID shutdown to prepare the schools to reopen safely it's been a tireless effort and we are taking it very seriously Another listener writes, uh, teachers and students have just settled into the virtual system. Why go in person and then change it back to virtual when cases go up? Such a waste of energy. And here's yet another listener who says, when big corporations have decided to allow work from home, why should children go back to school? Question from a listener, I'll go to you on this, Jill Tucker, who writes, I'm a school bus driver from the North Bay. Can Jill talk about protocols for safety on buses? I'm worried about my health if school returns to in-person classes.
4: Yes,
2: I, you know, there are public health guidelines for uh, transportation like buses. Um, I, I think that, uh, and it may vary by county some, but I believe that there should be ventilation and that everyone wears a mask and that they are spaced uh, just like they would be in a classroom. So it would be, you know, kids uh, skipping uh, benches. You would, you would obviously have to have a lot fewer kids than you might normally have on a, on a bus run. Um, so that the kids could be distanced from not only the bus driver, but each other, and and also wearing masks uh, with window ventilation or other types of ventilation.
0: Let me try to get John on next. John, thanks for waiting. You're on.
4: Yes, thank you very much. So uh, I'm a PE. I've been on the ASHRAE Committee on Ventilation, and I've been trying to work with some school districts that refuse free help, (laughs) Uh, and they insist on saying they already know what to do and all they're doing is changing the filters, uh, which is totally ridiculous. Um, There's lots of things that can be done. Every building needs to be looked at individually by somebody who understands all the different things that can be done. Your regular building engineers are not aware of what can be done to uh, get adequate ventilation uh, in these classrooms.
0: John, I thank you for that. And again, we get back to ventilation. I mentioned that article uh, by Jeff Vincent and EdSource, which goes into detail about that, which probably can be found online. Jill, uh, we're coming to the end of the program. What if some schools open and then there's a spike?
2: Well, I think uh, public health departments are fully expected, when I talk to them, they fully expect there to be cases associated with schools. And they have plans for that. Um, all the schools, when they reopen, have to have a plan uh, for if there are cases or, or, or possible exposure, um, the public health department steps in and they evaluate it determine whether cohorts need to quarantine. Um, what I'm hearing from a lot of public health departments though is that the idea is to not shut down the entire system just because there might be a case or two associated with the school that that's accepted and that they will contact trace, test and uh, quarantine as required. Uh, but that uh, schools could continue to operate. It isn't going to be sort of the panic situation that we saw in the spring, where we saw the first cases and entire school districts shut down.
0: We'll leave it there. Thank you, Jill Tucker. Good to have you with us. A lot of people writing in and saying they're going to wait till there's a vaccine. Forum is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Larberg, Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres and Susan Britton. Senior editors, Dan Zoll. Our engineers, Danny Bringer. Our intern, Jamison Weiss. Executive editor, Ethan togan Lindsay. Chief content officer, Holly Kernan. I'm Michael Krasny.
3: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport,
2: OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way
1: So, I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? you left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
2: A young correctional officer... He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. ...forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath